Hi everyone, it's good to see you, good to be seen by you. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to start a series in and around the theme of grace. Uh, grace is really the theme of the whole Bible as we'll see as we run through these weeks. Uh, J.I. Packer, famous theologian, said this, he said, grace is the key that unlocks the New Testament. If you want to understand what the Bible says and what it describes about God and who he is and how he has uh, interacted with us, uh, just human beings, we need to have a grasp of grace. I think if you were to study one aspect of the Bible, and maybe for the rest of your life, if that's all you could do, then grace would be the thing to focus on. It's so important, and yet for some, and particularly I think in our cultural background, it can be very elusive, uh, and we'll look into the reasons why that might be as we go through today. I'm going to read a passage from the Old Testament from 2 Kings uh, and chapter 4, um, and this is a story, uh, we'll just pick up the story and then we'll talk about it as we go through. So this is 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of prophets came to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor, is, his creditor is coming to take my boys away as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, um, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go, outside, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Uh, then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Father, I pray that as we begin to explore grace, what does it mean to have a gracious and loving Heavenly Father? What does it actually mean for me today, for my brothers and sisters as we listen to this? I pray, Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word. Help us to grasp it. Help us to see beyond this story and other stories the truth of the heart of God to pour blessing upon us, his children. Help us to get it, Lord Jesus, please. We know that sometimes these things can be elusive, but help us to grasp it, not just to think we understand it, but to live in the good of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story is part of the big story of Scripture, and that big story of Scripture is the story of grace. It's a story that's hinted at with every new dawn, with every baby born, with every new season. Every time spring follows winter, we remember things about the grace of God. Every act of self-sacrifice that finds its way into the papers, it's telling this story, a story of God's grace. And of course, the Bible is brimming with these stories because this is who God is. He's a God who is gracious, a God who pours out his favor upon us. And you might initially say, well, well, well hang on, uh, that's not been my experience. 
then we need to grasp something of the deeper meaning of what grace actually is. You see, grace isn't just that I get all my prayers answered the way I think they should be answered. Grace is that God invites me into his family. He adopts me as a son. He adopts you as a daughter. He says, you're in. You're absolutely in. You're secure. You're part and parcel of my kingdom forever. And he seals it and secures it with his life. And that's the beginnings of an understanding of grace. It's not just that I get my prayer for today answered the way I think it should be answered. So sometimes we conflate these two things. If, if God is loving and gracious, then why doesn't he give me exactly what I ask for when I ask for it? Well, any parent knows that would be a pretty poor way to raise a child. And God, of course, is a loving, heavenly father. The story of the Bible is, is so counterintuitive against our culture that it's led many to believe that this story of grace could only come from heaven. It, how, it couldn't have been conceived in the mind of a human. And of course, the Bible tells us that is where the story comes from. It is God telling us about himself, explaining who he is. There's a great book that many have been reading lately called Gentle and Lowly. And it, and it says Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to demonstrate who God is. Not just, his, you know, not just his kind of kind side, actually, actually he's really mean. No, he's who he is. And Jesus said to his disciples when they asked them, show us the Father, they said, don't you know you've been with me for so long? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. So in understanding something of who Jesus is and, and understanding even these foreshadows in the stories like we're reading today, it tells us of God's heart of who Jesus is, of how he loves us, and what that means for us every day. The Old Testament, it might surprise some of you to hear, is full of grace. But for all the richness of grace in its pages, it's just priming the pump for the great story, the outrageous and thoroughly unexpected arrival of Jesus. So we we see foretold, as it were, in the Old Testament, the stories of grace. But every time we read a story of grace, a bit like the one we're reading today, we don't get the whole picture. The Bible does that intentionally. It wants us to explore, to, as it were, fathom the depths of grace. So it doesn't just give us a list or a numbered kind of list of things. and say, This is what grace is. No, it, it gives us stories and, and, and interactions. And it, de- it shows us how others have dealt with their relationship to God. And here we find another one. So this, this story tells us something of that story. And the Bible is often like that. Stories of the Bible tell us something of the story of Jesus. They're all pointing to him ultimately. But we do need to, to pay careful attention to what it's teaching us. Because our, our minds, which are so uh, kind of uh, biased towards an earthly way of thinking, an ungracious way of thinking, that at every turn we want to avoid really receiving or accepting that grace is what grace really is. It's a bit like the fevered patient, confused and irrational, refusing to take the very medicine that would calm the fever. My mind's like that sometimes. Like, can it it be true? Could it really be true? Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm reaching for something in terms of understanding God's grace, that actually God is embracing me with the truth of every day. See, we are hardwired Humanity is hardwired to believing in terms of actions and consequences, of work and wages, of performance and reward. That's how we think about the world. 
And with good cause, because that's our understanding over many thousands of years about how the world works. And so we come up with all sorts of phrases that will be so familiar to us, you'll barely even realize uh, that it's a phrase, and hopefully till I point it out to you. So here are some of them that will form the backdrop to our understanding of the world. One good deed deserves another. You know, we would have understood that, wouldn't we? I've, I've heard that many, many times. Or, or what about this one? Uh, she'll get her just desserts. Or you'll get what's coming to you. Uh, these are things, we're very, these phrases we're very familiar with. Or the idea of karma for some. Uh, obviously a different religious understanding. But um, the universe will pay you back good for good and, and evil for evil. Endless hours of YouTube videos <laughs> demonstrating that people really like this idea that you get what you pay for, as it were. Or I remember a teacher, actually, at secondary school, an English teacher, a fairly fierce English teacher, to be fair. And I remember her saying, you get nothing for free in this world. And being very passionate about it. We were all sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, what happened to you? <laughs> uh, but that was her, that, that was her phrase. Um, uh, we've said this one already. You, you get what you pay for. You, or you only get what you pay for. Um, uh, maybe the most subtle, the most pernicious of all of these is this one. Love is give and love is take, or love is give and take. That is a thoroughly unbiblical view of what love actually is. But these sayings and ideas are so hardwired into us, into our lives, that we, we barely pay attention to them. They just form kind of who we are. This is, isn't this just normal life? And so we apply them often to education, to business, but sadly too to friendships and love, and, and most tragically maybe of all to religion, maybe to Christianity itself. And the real trouble comes when we apply this, this meta-narrative, this, this story beneath the story, which is this graceless understanding of the world. And when we, when we use that as a way to relate to God or our relationship with God, we see it in those same terms. And specifically, when we think of our relationship with God in terms of following these set principles, if we want God to be pleased with us or if we want God to bless us or if we want to be saved, to use that Bible word. And this story helps us to unpack and undo some of that cultural understanding of our relating to God. And so let's begin then with this story. Elisha was a prophet, someone who was particularly devoted and gifted to hear from God and then talk to the people about what he had heard. For long periods of Israel's history, they were led by a combination of kings and priests and prophets. Uh, and those, uh, those kings and priests and prophets, to a varying degree, whether they were good, in other words, whether they followed God, sometimes they didn't, um, but they would bring teaching and direction to the people. They would shape the nation. Um, and, you know, particularly the ones who, particularly the prophets who said to the people of God, you know, you need to change direction. Often that was very unpopular. Elijah, Elijah and Elisha were two kind of prophets that you may have even heard of. And they were, their, their ministry, their work was particularly powerful um, and probably because it was accompanied by miracles. And some of the miracles that happened around them that they performed in God's name would sound very, are going to sound actually very familiar to us because they reflect something of the miracles of Jesus himself. So Elisha was the successor, the protege as it were of Elijah and he led a company of prophets, so a group together who would have prophesied and helped one another to lead the people. And Elisha is visiting the family of one of these prophets and he has died. 
And so the first thing we read in verse 1 is this. The husband of this dear mother is dead. It's the beginning of the story. All is lost. It's all over. And so now to lose a beloved husband uh, is tragic in any age and at any time. But in this culture, at this time, it's, it's pretty much the end of everything for them. And you see in the story as you follow it through just how quickly the creditors move in to enslave the family. And that's happening here. Now here's the question. What would you do, maybe as a church, what would we do at this point? How would we respond to such an evil or such a, a, a very deep and a real problem? This family is about to be enslaved by the creditors. They owe real money. It's not being paid. How is this going to work out? I wondered about that, and I think maybe, maybe our, our first port of call would be, let's, can we just pay the debt off? Can we do that? You know, we, in, in that church, we have a hardship fund for, for maybe not exactly this, but things like this. That's maybe where you would think. Now, what would you do? Oh, well, I think maybe I'd pay the debt. Maybe, maybe what you think, maybe you, you, you've got the gift of, of the gab. You know, but actually, maybe I would do a deal with the creditors. Let's, let's do a deal. Let's work out a payment system. Let's try and avoid this terrible situation. Maybe you're a bit of a maverick. Maybe you think, oh, I'm going to help her run away. That's what I would do. <laughs> Just help her escape. And maybe there's a whole other bunch of things you're thinking of. But Elisha doesn't do any of those things. And I think this is, the, this is a real challenge to all of us. What Elisha does is he gives of his very best. And listen carefully to this. He invites her into his faith. He does something with her in terms of she obeys what he says and she performs a miracle, or her sons do, with her in the house. And actually he's sharing his faith with her. He doesn't just fix the problem. Okay, we can do this. Let's pay the debt. No, he invites her into his relationship with God, his understanding, his experience of God's goodness and provision, and he invites her into that. And of course, she multiplies the oil and they pay off the family debt. Doesn't just do it on her behalf. And of course, not just her, but her sons too. And you notice, if you, if you read this story carefully, you'll see this little a parallel here with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the New Testament when a boy comes with just a very small amount of food and the disciples multiply the food and feed many thousands of people. And here you see the family, all they've got is a small amount of oil and it is multiplied. Well, let's follow the story through. Verse 2 says this. Elisha says, what do you have? And she says, your servant has nothing. She says, we've got nothing in the house. And the woman's confession is so important for us to get understand when we begin to grasp what grace is and how to receive it. She says, we have nothing. You see, all the while I think I can fix myself, I can fix my own problems, or I can work harder or behave better or... Maybe if I'm a Christian, if I, if I was just a bit more holy, if I worshipped a bit more, read the Bible a bit more, then my problems would disappear. And somehow God would bless me more. All I'm doing with that is demonstrating my own self-reliance, which is a fancy word for pride. I'm just saying, I, I think I can fix myself. I think I can fix my problems. I think I know how this thing works. If I just do this, then this will result. Again, we're back to that that sub-story that we've grown up with, many of us, which is kind of work and reward. If you do this, then this will happen. 
if you try to please God hard enough, he will somehow respond and bless you. But that's not her starting point. Her starting point is that we don't have anything. We have nothing. Let's just read what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, he said to his disciples, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So actually receiving grace isn't hard because the person is rich, not because they have money. It's hard because it's very easy when you've acquired a lot of money to become proud in your acquisition of it. You think, well, I worked really hard. I've, I, I, you know, I, look, how, look how well I've done. Look how much I've achieved. And pride can easily seep in, and it does often with people who've made their own money. We know that phrase, I'm a self-made woman or I'm a self-made man. And that's brimming with pride, isn't it? I am a self-made man. It's brimming with pride. And it really is very hard for God to find a way in to bless that kind of mentality. But this woman says, I, I have nothing. That's often and always the starting point of receiving grace. I suppose if you ask the self-made person, you know, what do you have? You know, the comeback would be like an episode of Cribs. You know, look at all these, look at all I've got. Look at everything I've acquired. Look how hard we've worked and the rewards that we have reaped. Look at it. We deserve all of this. Sometimes that's what it's like when you watch those kind of shows, isn't it? Humility can be a really hard lesson, but it's essential. it is essential to receiving God's grace. Jesus starts his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, this, this sermon that beats any and every sermon ever preached and ever will be preached. He starts it with this in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The starting point to blessedness, to, to happiness, to joy, to receiving what God has is admitting you don't have anything. And that's just, a, and for some of us, like, yeah, but I do have lots, thank you. I have worked hard. I do deserve it well. My dear friend, you have much to learn about God's standards and much to learn about God's blessing if you're going to receive it. You see, the, the, the doors to God's gracious, grace-filled, hope-flavored kingdom are wide to the humble in spirit. And it's, through those doors where we need to enter into God's kingdom. And so the doors are shut to the proud, in fact. If I think I deserve access to God, if I, I somehow, somehow through my own hard work and through my own goodness, maybe even my own rightness, I think, well, I've worked hard. I've given stuff. I've given of myself. Guess what? This is true for Christians, maybe even more than it is for people who aren't. I, I deserve those doors are slammed shut because it's my own righteousness I'm bringing and it actually is not receiving of his grace. Jesus' brother, in James chapter 4, writes this. He says, Scripture says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a hard lesson, humility, but it's one that we need 
to understand. This woman got it. She understood it. I think this is why the gospel is shaped for those who are poor. Because there isn't, there's not, that's not, that doesn't mean that poor people can't be proud. But actually, it's, it's, it's more likely that people who have little in this world are going to reject pride. Because they know they need help. And this woman is one of those. She said, I have nothing. Next thing we see in, in verse 5 is this, the oil kept flowing. She filled everything that she could find. Every jar she could find from her neighbours was filled. Grace is extravagant. It's lavish. <laughs> when I think of God's grace, sometimes I think of this. I think of, uh, of my own sort of level of generosity, and that varies a lot from day to day and year to year, to be honest with you. Um, and then I think of adding a bit. I think, well, God's probably a bit, you know, it's probably like me on a really, on a good day and then a bit more. But actually, <laughs> when I think of how the Bible describes his grace, that it is lavish, extravagant, I realize it's, I, I just, I'm using the wrong measures. 1 John 3, uh, we, we read this, the disciple Jesus loved writes this, see how great the love of the Father, he has lavished on us, how great is this, that we should be called children of God. He doesn't just pay our debt off, he invites us into his family, he adopts us. It's like, it's like turning up at the door, begging, knocking at the door, saying, I, I, I'm hungry, can I have something to eat? And actually we get adopted into the family, it's just, it's crazy. It is, brothers and sisters, scandalous. It's outrageous grace. And this woman is understanding something of that as an, another jar is filled from this tiny pot she's got. Another jar is filled. Another jar is filled. And she starts to run out of places to put them and she can't find any more. And then she finally says, have we got any more jars? And the son says, no, we're out. And then the oil stops flowing. It's just lavish. The house is, I'm imagining the house is just filled, every surface is covered with pots, big and small, full of oil, full of blessing. Grace is lavish. Grace is extravagant. What kind of love calls enemies to be brothers? <laughs> what kind of love is it that pays for our forgiveness with, you, with, his, with his own life? Jesus, of course. What kind of love is it that steps in and accepts the punishment for my sin? You know, the sins I do willingly, he just he forgives simply because I ask him. And he, he makes me a son and an heir that I would receive assurance of salvation, that I would receive an eternal blessing, sonship, to share in his inheritance. What kind of love is this? And I'm thinking, well, Lord, you know, I'd like a this or I'd like a that or I'd like to feel a bit more healthy or I'd like to lose a bit of weight. And God's like, I'm making you a son. It's incredible. It is lavish. It's over the top. It's a scandal. I don't deserve it. Everybody knows it. <laughs> Everyone knows I don't deserve this. I deserve slavery. I, des I deserve to be punished at the, on my best day. Bible says, you know, your good works. You think you're bringing your good works to Jesus. That's what some thought they were doing. Oh, just tell him what I'm doing. He says, that's filthy rags. It's like filthy rags. It's just disgusting. 
the, me on my best day. And yet he's willing to set it aside. And in the place of all the rubbish that I might try and bring, says, I'm going to give you my own righteousness. That rightness, that straightness before God, that absolute untainted acceptance for all eternity into his family. I get it as a gift. It is lavish. It is grace. Now let's just skip back to verse 2. There's something we need to say about, about this. Because Elisha asks, what have you got on the house? And she initially says nothing. And then she says something else. Because he says, what have you got? And she says, well, I've got a little bit of oil. That's what I've got. And then we could argue the point here, couldn't we? Well, isn't this exactly opposite of what you've been saying? Haven't you been saying that I come with nothing and that's how I have to come? Well, yes and no. Yes, because it's true of all of us that we need to come in humility, accepting we have nothing to offer. But listen and note this. God is even more gracious than that. Once we've accepted humbly that all our good gifts come from God and not as a result of our own cleverness or efforts, or maybe accepting that our cleverness and efforts are a gift from God, whichever way, recognizing it's God who is the author of it all, once we've understood that, once we've grasped that, then God begins to use the things that we have for his glory, willingly, happily. And it's a great joy to be drawn into his kingdom. Suddenly I find it, you know, I, I, I have a place here. The things that, I, that I'm good at, the things that God has given me as gifts, once I accept them as gifts, are multiplied in his service, are multiplied for his glory. Again, we said before, didn't we, a little, bit, a little bit like the boy who came with the loaves and fishes. That's all he had, and suddenly, you know, he's got a story that must have been told through his family for generations. <laughs> Do you remember when little Peter, whatever his name was, you know, he brought, you know, he brought a few loaves of fishes to the picnic with Jesus and thousands. Do you remember that story? And they would have, one must expect, dined out on that story <laughs> for generations. God used the little that he had because he humbly brought it to Jesus. You see, self-pity, sort of saying, no, 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 I've got, nothing to, I've got nothing to offer, I've got nothing to give, once in God's presence is inappropriate. It can just be a, a form of, another form of pride, hiding behind, no, no, I'm, I'm just useless. Secretly, and I know this because I suffer from this, secretly hoping someone will notice how humble I'm actually being and, and you know, credit me for it. It's actually just another form of pride. It doesn't help me at all. And actually, as this woman says, actually, we, we do have something. We've got nothing, but actually, just got this. God breathes on it and blesses it and multiplies it and, and catches her up into the faith of Elisha. We see how lavish God's heart is towards the broken-hearted how much he loves to rescue. And what we find, of course, in this story um, is that it wasn't just that she could play her creditors, but Elisha says, now go and live on the proceeds. The, it wasn't just that the situation was fixed. The family and presumably the inheritance and the family name were rescued because now there was provision where before there was none. The sons would have been sold into slavery and the name would have vanished. But actually what happens is the whole family and the legacy of that family are rescued by the lavish miracle 
that Elisha does. This is grace. Now, of course, it's not the whole story. We've got subsequent weeks to fill in some of these gaps. We need to begin to grasp some of these concepts and ideas, begin to apply them to ourselves. So she needed food for now and money to pay the debts. And what she got was generations of blessing for her and her whole family. Incredible blessing. All of us right now, we, we're finding ourselves stripped away of all kinds of, of things, aren't we? Of relationships, of closeness, of security, of being able to look ahead. All the, many of the things that we put our hope and faith in are being just stripped away. And what are we left with? Well, we're left with God inviting us into an, our adventure of faith. Because we could look around, and I'm, you know, I even look out at a hall and think, wow, there's, this hall used to be packed with people and now there's nobody here, or very few. Actually, God is saying, where is your faith? Let's have an adventure of faith and even in these moments. Saying to God, look, I've, I've got nothing. Even the things I thought I had, I don't have. And God's saying, there's an adventure to be had. There's no danger that his kingdom won't come, that won't be realized. There's no danger of that. You see, he's fully able to take a terrible situation that looks like the end of everything, all was lost. And actually generations in a moment can be saved. God is able to do that even now. We need to fix our eyes on this gracious God, believing him day by day, moment by moment. God's answer is rarely the expected solution. Now, when I pray about this pandemic and I pray about the church and I pray for my brothers and sisters, this is, I'm praying very specifically for things. This is how I want it to end and when I'd like it to end. And you know, I'm praying these things. When this dear widow invited Elisha in, I bet she had no idea the solution that God would bring. And yet God graciously invites her into an adventure of faith, an adventure of seeing grace pour out through her family for generations and he is doing the same for you now and for us it's going to take a bit of wrestling with God it does for me and that wrestling is realizing wow there's so many things that I trusted in for comfort in each given moment and day that have been stripped away now what is left and sometimes I think well I, I Lord I have nothing today because says, hey look you know what we've got a bit of oil let's start filling the jars Let's begin to fill the jars again and see God's provision and the solutions that God brings that are not the solutions that we would necessarily want to bring pour out into blessing that will affect us and many generations beyond us. This is the beginnings of God's outrageous gift of grace to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're a gracious God. Thank you for your incredible kindness. Thank you that you don't just give us what we think we need in a given moment, even when we really think we know. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to invite us into an adventure of faith that shows us something more about who you are, about who we are, that includes us in your rescue plan for the all of creation. Thank you for catching us up in that. Thank you for this grace that we have received. I pray, Lord Jesus, for us. I pray we'd be individuals, families, a church community of grace. Let grace, let that reliance on you, that belief in you, that recognition of your supremacy over all things, let that be the bedrock of who we are. 
and let out of that grow just richness, I pray, that will bless this community and this city.